Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Today we speak with Dan Wilton, who's the CEO of First Mining Gold. They're a gold developer with assets in Ontario, Canada, eight to be precise. Their marquee project is the Spring Pole Project with an MPV of 1.1 billion dollars. They're going to need to find 800 million dollars to get this thing into production, but before they do that, they'll need a permit. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, Dan. How are you, sir? I'm well, thank you. I'm well. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me here today. Good, good. Now I know you've hot-footed it back from uh, BMO, Miami, in the sun. Um, yeah. Back back up to base, and then shortly off to PDAX, which is obviously going to be a very different experience for you. You uh, you excited <laughs> about what PDAX is going to bring? Oh, very excited. Uh, you know, having just kind of come back from Miami, I think the one thing, the real takeaway that you get is you know, where we are as an industry and you're starting to have the largest mining companies in the world talking about how, you know, they're struggling to replace their reserves and they're going to need to find new projects and, you know, add more productive capacity. So uh, that all bodes well for a company that's holding, you know, six projects in Canada with a total of about 11 million ounces of gold in it. Well, okay, before you get into it, well, let's, let's, let's do a one minute summary of the, the, the total story there, and then we'll, kind of, we'll get into some of the details. So why don't you kick off and do sure. that for us? Yeah, so First Mining is a, is a project developer um, that was originally put together in 2015, 2016 by Keith Newmeyer as kind of a, on a, an acquisition strategy and put this portfolio of gold projects together. Uh, six main projects are in Canada four of them in the same area of Northwestern Ontario. Um, total resource uh, is about 11 million ounces of gold. And um, uh, we're actively advancing two of our key projects. One of them is Springpole, which is a 5 million ounce open pit project that we're advancing through pre-feasibility, which we hope to have done by the end of the year and uh, getting our environmental impact statement completed and submitted early next year. And our gold lawn project where we're actively drilling right now is right now 800,000 ounces of indicated, 875,000 ounces of inferred, um, and just off the highway between Dryden and Sioux Lookout. So we're actively growing and exploring what we think is a, is a very impactful district. Excellent. excellent. Well, thank, thanks for that. Can we just kick off by talking about what the original plan was? Obviously, Keith Newmar, um, you know, reasonably well-known guy. And, you know, you, you started yeah. off with a plan in mind. Is that still the plan or have had to evolve and change? You know, it's interesting. We, we hear a lot about that because the company was started in 2015. And, and originally, the original game plan was uh, they were going to consolidate a bunch of exploration projects in Mexico, uh, Greenfields exploration projects. But at the time, and we all remember how difficult the mining industry was in 2015, uh, you know, they looked around and said, we can spend Thirty or forty dollars an ounce exploring to to try and find ounces, but you look in the market and you can buy ounces for less than ten dollars an ounce in these really good projects that a lot of people had given up on, and so you know they raised a bit of money and used this company first mining gold to start acquiring projects with the theory of being um, a land bank. So the original strategy was we'll acquire it. We'll do just kind of minimal holding costs. The environment will get better, and you know then we'll be able to monetize these projects, retain interests, hold on to royalties, 
things like that. And so they're very aggressive in the acquisition phase and bought eight companies or projects in 12 months from 2015 to about mid 2016. And that really gave us the portfolio that we have today. And people really kind of bought into this mineral bank concept to the point that when they completed the last acquisition, the market cap of first mining with the, the exact same portfolio that we have today was about 630 million Canadian. You know, today we're sitting, uh, having, you know, raised a bit more money, having done 40,000 meters of infill drilling at Goldland, having done two PEAs at Spring Pool, a really transformational metallurgical program to, I think, unlock a bunch of the recoveries. And we're trading at 150 million Canadian market cap, you know, four years later. So uh, continues for us to, you know, come to the point that we think that there is real, real value in this portfolio. See, that, why I'm asking this question, I just want to get an idea of what's going on in the minds of the, the, the management team. So, you know, I do remember that period, 2012 through to 15, when people were coming to us mm -hmm. about giving them money to do this land banking, not just mining, but also, you know, oil, oil and gas. And it, it was not something, we, I guess we we're a little bit more conventional and uh, couldn't really sort of see the up, upside there. But, you know, some people were able to raise money. So you guys, that's that was the genesis of this, but you've had to pivot at some point was a, was a realization that the market was not rewarding you as it once did. That must have been a big, yeah. big moment, big discussion. Yeah, it was. And listen, that that happened before I arrived. Uh, so it was really late 2017 as they finished up uh, our previous PEA on Springpool that they came to realize, you know, we're sitting with this world class asset uh, and um, we're not getting the value that we think we can get from it. There's been an enormous amount of work done already at that point, de-risking it that we've continued doing. But the only way that you're really going to surface the value from this project is to get it permitted. And it's because Springpool sits under the, the deposit, sits under the Bay of a Lake. And the development plan is building a couple of small coffer dams and dewatering a bay of this, uh, of this lake, which all the technical and environmental data that we've compiled over eight years says is entirely possible. Um, and uh, so that sort of, they embarked on a strategy then and really kind of changed the message. In some senses, maybe a little bit too aggressively, yeah. uh, changed the message that we are going to build Springpool. Okay, so, and, so look, before we get into Springpool, we, and we, we do yeah. have time to talk about it, so let, let's, let's park yeah. that for now. I'm just kind of coming back to that moment. So what do you know, I know you weren't there, but you've been brought in for, when did you arrive actually? Let's start with that. So I, yeah, I started January 7th of last year. So I've been here just a little bit more than a year. Okay, so in, but in, in 17, they started seeing these, these changes in the markets and they, they knew they had to do something different to be able to raise capital, to be able to survive in, in what, what the market was doing then, which is not, not a whole bunch of nothing. Right, so, so you're sitting on these cheap assets. So, when do you know what what were the options available? Well, I think at the time the options are uh, do nothing, just kind of hold, and you know wait for better environments. But the company had raised twenty seven million dollars in 2016, and uh, you know even going through the due diligence in acquiring the assets, there were sort of opportunities identified that. You know, whether it's at Goldlund, you know, firming up the resource uh, or, you know, hopefully adding to it, um, but certainly converting some of the inferred into indicated led to a 40,000 meter infill program that allowed us to really much better understand the deposit. Mm -hmm. um, 
and you know the company at the time was was reasonably well funded to execute on a couple of these uh, sizable plans. So um, they just kind of looked a little bit at the at the incremental risks and said, okay, well, we'll you know we'll fund this program, we'll fund that program, just to try and answer some of the questions that investors and other potential partners would have. Yeah. Okay. So, the, but the the the, ca- the cash is also a big driver of that. You know, either access to it or whatever whatever you yep. had left after your yep. the various programs. Though. So, okay. For, well, let's talk about you. So why why did they bring you on board? What, what were you going to do for them? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, my background uh, prior to joining uh, First Mining, I was uh, one of the three executive partners at a private equity fund called Pacific Road Capital, yeah. and we had. $800 million under management in two funds, uh, investing in largely late stage mining projects mm-hmm. around the world. And, you know, it actually at Pacific Road looked at most of the projects in the first mining portfolio before they bought them. But I hadn't really spent a lot of time, uh, you know, looking at first mining as it came together because it was, you know, it was uh, the whole mineral bank strategy, which I thought was kind of interesting, but it was pretty uh aggressively promoted at the time and you know lots of momentum as they build up this portfolio um but it was targeted away from you know not exactly targeted toward institution it was really targeted towards uh, more of a retail audience and so uh someone had said to me in 2018 after i uh left pacific road um you should really look at you know some of these assets in first mining and i said oh, okay i'll have a look so I did, and uh, sure enough, recognized we'd looked at Springpole in 2013. We looked at Goldlund twice, um, you know, down to drill databases and block models, like had a pretty good understanding. And we couldn't get deals done in 2013, 2014, sort of as the market's rolling over and valuation expectations hadn't quite adjusted yet. But I really liked these projects. And so, um, you know, come late 2018, uh, my predecessor, uh, had left as CEO of First Mining, and someone said, oh, maybe you should talk to Keith. So I more or less cold called Keith. I didn't know him very well. I'd met him a couple of times and said, you know, I think this is the most interesting portfolio of gold projects sitting in a, you know, in a development company in in the sector. And uh, I think as much as you need a CEO, part of what you need is someone to help you manage this portfolio. So. That's kind of what I saw. And then I joined early 2019. The first thing that we did was um, look at inside this portfolio, what are the best risk return investments you can make to surface the most value? Mm. And as you look at everything you could do to the assets in this portfolio, whether it's drilling, whether it's doing economic studies, the single biggest driver of value, if you believe that you can get a permit for a spring pool, and we do, the single biggest driver of value is getting a permit for that. Okay, again, we'll, we'll come on to that. I, I, again, I'm yeah. trying to get a sense of the management team here. So, you, think, get your background. I think I might have actually come across you uh, as well. Um, there seems to be a sort of uh, a, a kind of where, where two C's meet uh, moment here, where you've got a extremely, by your words, you know, promotional team previously. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why the former CFO left, um, but you were coming along with a much more institutional mindset. Uh, yeah. And I'm just sort of wondering, you know, 
where it is today, you know, because you know you might. I'm looking at your share price. You know, it's 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 been fall, falling away, and you're going to tell yep. me it's it should be worth a lot more, and uh, we can have that discussion as well. But you know, Absolutely. you know, NPVs don't necessarily count for much, but you know, the, the market cap is the market cap, and the share price is the share price. So, you, do you think you have suffered from that legacy of being perceived as a promotional entity previously? I appreciate mm-hmm. you telling me it's. There's a fine line now, but um, but but you're now having to tell that story to the market that actually you're bringing a bit more rigor and process into the into the company now. Well, you know, I think the when you go back to the the history and how the company was kind of put together, um, there uh, we're we're still the beneficiary of a lot of that, right? We have a lot of great long-term shareholders who bought into this idea and the value of this portfolio in 2015, 2016. And the other thing that a lot of people don't appreciate is that by buying all of these companies and projects, we actually uh, provided a lot of liquidity to the shareholders of these other companies who were kind of stuck in 2015. And the one thing you can say when you look at our at our stock, it is nothing if not liquid. You know, we still trade a million-ish shares a day in in the TSX and another half a million in the U.S. So we have this great base of shareholders who we kind of acquired or you know bought into the vision. Then the the challenge has been when things are you know aggressively promoted and they achieve certain values, you know, in enthusiastic enthusiastic times. Uh, and with great enthusiasm, maintaining that enthusiasm as you get into like doing the real work can be hard sometimes. And so I think that's where we've where we've had, you know, people are sold a dream. And I think that dream and the value of this portfolio is absolutely intact. I think the way we're going to realize that value just I think comes a bit more from, you know, my background is fundamental value. I've spent my whole career trying to understand or, you know, invest in fundamental value in mining. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll take that as a yes. Um, fundamental value is a phrase that you use in your PowerPoint, actually. And, I, you know, I, I could, mm. it stuck out to me. And I know, I know you have to throw the word potential in there. Um, but what do you think is missing here in terms of the story? Because you, you look at the NPV, you look at the ASIC, you know, it, it well, I guess the one big number in there is obviously the, the, the CapEx number. You're going to have yeah. to find yeah. 800, 850 million bucks to kind of get this thing going here. Have you guys yeah. considered starting smaller? Have you guys considered other strategies which don't involve such a, the need to go out and raise so much money for a 140 million buck company? Yeah, and listen, we, we face this a lot on the concept of potential dilution. People talk about it. Listen, our, our strategy is advancing the value of this project, getting it through real value milestones and taking real risk out of it. And then in 2023, when we are having a discussion about is a single asset company the right one to build an $800 million project on their own, history has shown that to not be an entirely, uh, you know, universally constructive exercise. So at that point, then I think you have a bunch more options, and you, but you should see the value of the project there. If this is one of very few five million ounce projects that, that you know in good jurisdictions, you get it permitted. You know there aren't that many projects in the world that can produce four hundred thousand ounces a year. 
Yeah, but, but therein lies the problem. You know, if you can get it permitted, it's sitting under a lake. Canada is, is a very good jurisdiction, mostly. But sometimes things take a little bit longer. Uh, and I do appreciate the size and scale that of the of the, um, the 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 spring pole project that you're talking about. Yeah. And, and I, there's a lot, so much to like about it. But I say therein lies the problem of the, of this single asset company, which you highlighted, which is um, if you have to wait around for that thing to be monetized in some way, or you know, give, give you the bump in the share price, then you could be waiting. You know an unquantifiable period of time. So what are you doing with the other asset, Goldland, for instance? Where's that at? Yeah, so uh, it's one thing when you look at this portfolio, you can draw a conclusion. This is not a single asset company. We've got a lot of really interesting projects. And in some senses, honestly, probably a few too many for us to spend. Glad you on, said right? it, because I was getting there. And that's, <laughs> no, exactly. And that's that's been the other part of the recognition that, you know, as we've been setting capital budgets and priorities, you know, um, getting our permits for spring poll uh, and, you know, in part of getting permits, it's getting the, uh, getting the, you know, permission to mine and the social license to mine. And that's really important in us working with our indigenous communities. And we're in early and active consultation uh, there. So that's an important part of it. But, you know, while that is going through a process, we have a lot, you know, a lot of other projects, five other projects that we need to help surface value from. And from our perspective, listen, the, 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 the market is moving. The gold industry is moving to a point where there is going to be a lot of capital needing to find homes to try and build productive capacity people are going to need projects we have some so it's about getting the projects to the position where they are at you know able to attract other capital or attracting other capital now to get them ready for the time when the industry really exactly comes. but you know the, the the money controls that conversation so you do have to put as many things in place as possible you've got your pea pfs later this year and hopefully eia yep approvals first quarter next year I, I, I get it so you're moving that along like everyone's yes, got yeah. to do right it's the, it's the usual path it's, it's very clear yep. um but what what else are you going to be able to do so you may have too many projects i suspect you do are you looking to cash some of those in and offload some of them are you bringing strategic partners in how do you bring more cash into the company now Yep. over the course of this year to allow you to do the things you're going to need to do to be able to have meaningful conversations with mid-tiers or large caps who are looking at a five million ounce uh, scale operation. Yeah, so I think we're executing on that right now. So uh, we announced a, an earn-in deal on our Pickle Crow project in mm -hmm. January uh, with an Australian company called Ateco, which um, a lot of people don't appreciate if you haven't actually done the read through, but it's the same team that was behind Bellevue Gold, which if you look at what they have done with Bellevue, yeah. this is the Australian Explorers of the Year yeah. last year, you know, and, and they surfaced value in Bellevue by going into a past producing high grade gold camp and applying, you know, good state of the art geoscience to right. delineate. It's a great team. But what's that mean so, for you? What, what, what was the deal? Do you get cash? So yeah, so the deal is it's not much cash up front. We'll get a few shares up front and then they spend $10 million over the next five years to earn an 80% interest. We're carried through to a construction decision, which is pretty important in an underground mine where, you know, that delineation of resource towards a mining decision is, is expensive. 
But what that project needed was, you know, a focused team and probably $10 million to really outline the opportunity. The look-through value on that for us, you know, if they have even a portion of the success that they had at Bellevue, which is now sitting at a 350 million odds of market cap or something mm. like that, you know, we still own 20% of the project. We have four million of cash payments that would come in as part of the uh, part of the um, earn-in deal, uh, and we'd own 10-ish percent of the company. Okay, so that's a kind of medium to longer term play and assuming they hit all the targets that they need to hit and they can continue to fund this thing, that that could be something for the future. What else is happening with any of the other assets like Hopebrook or Cameron, for instance? Yeah, so, you know, we spent, uh, after we finished our financing in May of last year, we spent a little bit of time and a little bit of money trying to understand a proper game plan and look at a couple of the key risks on each of those projects, right? Okay. And so, you know, as we looked at it, Cameron, um, Cameron, I think, is a real sleeper in this portfolio. The reality is there is, you know, it was basically readied for production or readied for a, a feasibility. They did a feasibility study on it in the 80s, but there's a 240 meter ramp down. It's been developed into ore on three levels. And there's about a 30,000 ton bulk sample sitting on surface, like at the project right now. And it it disappointed when they bulk sampled it on grade. So they thought they were going to get five. They got kind of three and a half grams. Mm-hmm. And, and it has never been identified as big enough to support its own mill. Um, but what's happened from the 1980s to today is, you know, someone's built a 25,000 ton per day mill, 88 kilometers away. So we're thinking a little bit creatively about how that project could be moved forward. And at Hope Brook, you know, similar, there's kind of one or two really interesting things that you need to understand about, you know, potentially, could you be, um, you know, starting uh, moving some waste rock and selling it as aggregate? for example, which some of the the producers uh, in northern Newfoundland are doing. You're right on tidewater. You've got a power line right to site that's still energized. You've got, you know, ship, sort of not ship loading facilities, but you've got a roll-on, roll-off barge facility that's still in great shape. Um, You know, and there's a almost million-ounce resource there. So it's kind of getting just enough information that you can um, understand what's a right way to put it forward, whether it's us or other people. Right, okay. But we haven't been in an environment where you can sell these projects for cash, right? I That environment, I think, is coming. So in order to get them ready for that, it's about finding partners who can help you move them to the position where they're then in the right state that you can maximize the value for them. Okay, well, at least your answer, Mike, I do feel the whole way through this, you're being quite straight with me. So you, you're talking and thinking about ways to monetize the non-core projects um you've got one which you you've, you've done a what did you call it a uh not a joint venture an earn-in an yeah, earn-in, earn-in um yep. which ha- may have some monetization component to it at, at, at some point on, on on going um but today they're not going to help you move the main story f- you know forward with you know spring pole or, or gold or goldland and i think that's what shareholders and certainly some of the viewers have contacted us are keen for you to start communicating to them how exactly does this path what sorry, what are the what are the points in this path forward that are going to allow them to you know 
they're underwater, you know, get back to where they were, stay around mm-hmm. for the for the upside, hopefully, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, and stop the rot, as it were, because you've got all the right stuff, but you, you need to tell people how you're putting it together. So you know, what should they be focused on? Now, now we're very clear about the six kind of non-core assets, where, you know, where they're at. What, what are you doing on the Goldland and Spring Pole to maximize that shareholder value? Yes. Yeah, so uh, sort of as we talked about, uh, Goldlund we're drilling right now. And I think we've, uh, through our drill program last year, identified at the Miller target, which is kind of 10 kilometers away from the Goldlund main zone, you know, had some of the better open pit drill results in Canada last year. Just mm-hmm. the, the challenge with Goldlund is that it sort of, like everything in our portfolio, gets overshadowed by Springpool. And so it's difficult to get people to pay attention when you get them to pay attention to, you know, 800,000 ounces at almost two grams uh, of an indicated resource and another 870,000 ounces of inferred at one and a half hmm. that falls into an open pit with a sub six to one strip ratio located just off the highway. We need to do a better job of highlighting the value of that, uh, but it's still wide open to continue to grow. But my concern, to be honest, is we can put out great drill results. We put out 40 meters of four grams in an open pit target 80 meters down last year and no one cared. Like you put out a 150 meters of, you know, one and a half grams. So what are you going to do? 10 kilometers from our main deposit. But so, tell, me, tell me what you're going to do about that. I, I, that was the same for a lot of people. They put out stuff. They said, this is a catalyst moment. The catalyst moment came and went. No one cared, right? So yeah, what do you do yeah. this year? You're not a producer. You're, those are the people who are seeing the, the uplift and the benefit of the gold price today. Yeah. Your, yeah. You know, gold's gone up, your share price has gone down. What do you do? So listen, first of all, we are raising the capital to make sure that we're funded to get there. And we announced uh, that we were raising $5 million. Uh, We're going to have a second close on that tomorrow, which will be larger than that. And uh, what we found is... You know, for all that we talk about, there are a number of shareholders who are disappointed. We have a number of great long-term committed shareholders. And I think when people look at how those shareholders have shown up to support us here, I mean, it's been amazing for me and humbling that, you know, there is still a really great core group who are supporting us moving forward. Um, And so that gives us a sense of, you know, we have the capital we need to move the project, particularly Spring Pool, through some of these catalysts, but you have to find other ways to do it, right? And part of that, our partnership with Asenko, who's doing our pre-feasibility study, all for shares, uh, which is, you know, pretty, uh, you know, a pretty unique structure. Um, But, you know, we're delighted to have that kind of partnership with what I think is the best engineering group we could be working with on this size and scale. Okay, so let's come back to these raises because you, you did one beginning of February, 14th February, and the, you're doing it the, the second half of that now. Is, is that what you're saying Oh, this to me? is, yeah. It's, it's all been kind of being pulled together over the course of the last week. So that's so, a total yeah. of five, five plus. It will end up being, yeah, it'll be larger. Than a that. little bit more than yeah. that. Okay, great. So I guess what people want to hear is that that's not for G&A and that's not for director salaries. They want to hear what you're going to do with that money, yeah. which is going to generate, you know, dollar for dollar, you know, more than that. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, this all comes down to what I think is pretty simple math. So as a corporate finance guy for 20 years and a private equity guy for five years, if you look across the cycles, Mm -hmm. if you get, you know, a project 
permitted that's of the size and scale that Springpool is, that project with permits should trade at somewhere around 0.5 times its net asset value. So Springpool today, that's $841 million at a $1,300 gold price. Mm -hmm. That's $1.2 billion US at a $1,500 gold price. And, you know, everyone used to kind of wring their hands when we'd talk about $1,500. Does the project need $1,500? No, it doesn't. But in the environment we're in, if we're talking about a $1,500 gold price and a, you know, 75 cent Canadian dollar, um, this project is really, really robust. And so, you know, to surface that value by getting the permit gets you, I think, a real um, opportunity at what is a multiple of our current share price re-rating to get there. Now, it's a lot of work and there's still a lot of time to that, but getting this PFS done that takes, you know, I think a real demonstration of the technical risk out of it, getting our environmental impact statement submitted, which we're aiming to do next year, that kicks off what in Ontario has been a pretty reliable two-year process. So Ontario has permitted three big open pit mines in the last three years, Cote Lake, um, Hard Rock, and Magino, all of them, you know, 10 to 35,000 ton per day open pit mines around a lot of water because there's a lot of water everywhere in Ontario. So when we get that permit and get the project through that de-risking phase, and I don't think it's, you know, uh, you get no credit for it and then they hand you the permit and all of a sudden it goes up four times. You tend to, as you demonstrate that you are moving the project forward, you tend to see that value of freedom. Talk, talk to me about that because I'm, I'm fascinated by that because, you know, th there's a line of logic here which says don't invest anything until there's certainty and that's the, the permit has been one submitted there's a some level of certainty that you, you've got to a point where you think you can get it through and then two the yep. the other permits or permits are awarded okay and that's some time right. away but right now you've got you know you you, you know okay you're trading but it's, it's trading down okay so you, you've got a you know million shares or so you know, that, that's great but it could be a whole bunch better so what what do you do between now and then to say look we're going through the process of putting the permit thing, you know, documentation together, but here's what we can tell you between now and then to give people mm -hmm. some comfort that you guys are going to be able to get this thing over the line because otherwise people just sit back and wait. And that's not good for yeah. you, especially when you're raising money. Uh, that's expensive money, right? It is. And we're, we're like, we are at the most difficult point of projects to raise money right now. We're, this is unprecedented in my career where you can find exploration stories with no resource and two drill holes that will attract three times our market cap <laughs> because they're, everyone's looking for something new, which is great, but it's irrational. So what's going to solve this over time? And it all comes back to, you know, what the titans of the industry are saying about peak gold and about how they don't have any projects. Mm. Listen, when your senior gold producers are trading at two times their net asset value, and they're generating, you know, two to two and a half times the free cash flow that they were three quarters ago. Yeah. Because the gold price has gone up, you know, um, unprecedented free cash flow and, you know, high trading multiples. When they go to look for where those projects are, you know, and it's not not us specifically, but developers generally are trading at one, you know, point one to point two times your net asset value. So what closes yeah. that gap? Yeah. 
you start seeing partnerships again. You start seeing investments by you know intermediate and large cap gold producers, and you start seeing M and A deals. And that's what is going to compress that and get you know back to the rational metrics, which are these projects should trade at 0.5 times NAV, you know, up to 0.7 times NAV, and get acquired at one times NAV by producers trading at one and a half. No, I, I hear you, but and again, you're talking my language. I, I get it, but you're, again, you're you're towards the the end. You're talking towards 2021, 20, that sort of time frame. I'm talking about now for the rest of 2020. What yeah. are you going to be? Talking to the market about, I know you can't talk about conversations, you know, that you may be having with strategics, etc., or M and or any of that kind of good stuff. You're going to have to be. But here's what we're doing on a quarter, quarter by quarter basis, which is helping get, bring certainty to those conversations yeah. that we're going to have with those strategics. Yeah. What are you going to do? So listen, there's there's the the challenges you've exactly hit on is that there's only so much that you can talk about when you're going through a pre-feasibility study, right? So what are we doing? We're doing an enormous amount of work in the next six months to understand and really pin down the you know development potential, uh, economics, and permittability of this project. And so that's exciting things like hydrogeology and hydrology and waste rock characterization and tailings and ongoing metallurgy. So I think we can talk about some of the milestones and test work of those things that are coming out, not draw conclusions because the conclusions get drawn in a PFS at the end of the year and in your environmental impact statement. But until then, we can keep in dialogue with our indigenous communities and in consultation and we can do everything that we can do to move the project forward and you know that might be having discussions with partners it might be finding a longer term source of financing it you know it might be giving people some degree of hope that the company is not just a perpetual dilution machine which we hear a lot and is one of the concerns but we're in that point where um you know there's uh there is a natural wait and see tendency and you've absolutely hit the nail on the head but one of the things with having all the other sort of opportunities and leverage in the value of these other projects in our pipeline is that we hope that there will be a bunch of other catalysts, whether, you know, it's our partners at Atico who are putting out, you know, new drill results at Pickle Crow or putting out a new resource at Pickle Crow, um, demonstrating that, you know, there is value in these projects and we're going to be able to surface meaningful value. Yeah, it might not be in 2020, but I think with this financing getting closed, we're going to have enough money and line of sight and runway to demonstrate we can get to some of these real value. Okay, so the money you're, the money you're raising now is going to get you through to when? The money we're raising now, and we'll see sort of what the final number is. Uh, but the goal is that gets us through to the end of this year. And then, again, we're talking about um, if there is some other sources of financing we can sort of put on top of that with a longer time horizon uh, to see us through. Ultimately, listen, where I would like to get to is to be able to say this company is funded to get Springpool from where we are today to you know our EA approvals in hand, which is 2023 by our timeframes right now. So the challenge with this portfolio is that there are you know there are GNA costs and there are holding costs of six projects. 
Um, some of which you can offset by doing uh, asset deals like we have done at Pickle Crow. So that takes all of the cost and, and you know, we bring a partner in to help us do that. Okay. So lots, there's lots of different ways that I think we can look at that. And it's not all just dilution, right? So we're actively in discussions with a bunch of other sources of capital okay. that might look more at the project. I think that's what people need to hear because, like I say, yeah. you, you got a lot. Of, you got eight assets growing out of that. That's, that, that's a, there's a lot of costs, a lot of time, effort, distraction, etc. You you know what your number one asset is. You know what your number two asset is, and I think people want you to say stop this dilutory machine that you, you the phrase that you used a second ago, um, and give them a sense, an idea of how you're going to you know stop that from happening and you know because once you've done a pfs guess what happens next you know we need an fs we need a dfs so you know it, it keeps going and it's a question of again people want to know are you going to be financing that or is that the time to bring in strategic partners to help you with that and those those are the sorts of clues i think people are looking for Certainly. Yeah, and I, I will tell you that the discussions we are having with potential strategic partners today are markedly different than the discussions we had a year ago, right? They've just come from, you know, a, a great forum to have a bunch of those discussions. Um, and uh, like the world is changing. And what a lot of people don't appreciate, investors particularly, they don't appreciate that the free cash flow to the gold sector in the last six months has doubled, right? You work on the assumption all in sustaining cost in the sector is about $1,000 an ounce. We were trading at 1250 and the, the gold price was trading at 1250 and the gold price goes up to 1500. That doubles the free cash flow to the sector. But we've only had that for two quarters. Exactly. Right? In the first quarter, no one believes it. And in the second quarter, they're still kind of setting their budgets for next year. But like money is pouring into the coffers of producers right now. And at the same time, just watch the year end results uh, announcements from all of them. They're talking about reserve reductions. They're talking about not having been able to replace the reserves because of eight years of, you know, systemic and systematic underinvestment in productive capacity or exploration or development or whatever so yeah I get it I get it I mean that is well told story well trodden you know story um again it comes back to what you because I, I see so much right with this you know and I do unless I do appreciate your honesty and forthrightness about you know what you've got and what you're trying to do so I do like that um what I'm not hearing yet and but you're telling me it's coming is how you're going to explain how you get a seat at the table when these newly moneyed up uh, producers, because there's, the gold price has been, as you say, only for two quarters, let's remember that, um, yep. you know, pre producing cash where perhaps they were once struggling. Um, and there's a few few of the big boys have struggled until until recently. That's, that's oh, been yeah. clear, right? This is, uh, they need this to continue just to make right some of the wrongs of the past couple of years, quite frankly. but. Assuming some of them do come to the table, like some of these Australian guys who are cashed up, how, how do you get them to listen to you? We've heard some fantastic South American stories, you know, some some other Canadian stories. It's a very competitive environment. You know, you are sitting on a lot of answers, but so are a lot of other people. So, what? How do how do you get this get to the front of the queue? Well, listen, I, I think uh, much as I'd like to say it's you know my charm and ability to tell a story it's not it's uh it's the fact that we have a great 
portfolio of projects. And when you look around the world, let alone in Canada, but look around the world uh, and where you can scope out projects capable of producing in excess of 400,000 ounces a year, that is a very small list. And when you look at those projects, and then there's a calculation I would encourage you to look at and encourage investors to look at, what's the percentage of the capital so how many of those could you conceivably build for less than a billion dollars? The answer is almost none. Mm -hmm. And in those other projects of this size and scale, what's the infrastructure build requirement to get there? So everyone looks at Springfall because we don't have a road up to the project today and says, oh, it's remote. We are 30 kilometers from a class one logging road that I drove last week. Uh, and we're 30 kilometers from a power line. Like, the actual infrastructure component of this is minimal relative to the size and scale of the operation. But listen, it's got, it has its own challenges and the challenges are that the deposit sits under the Bay of a Lake. But you know what's been known since they discovered it? It's been known that it sits under the Bay of a Lake and there's been an enormous amount of environmental baseline work done, like eight years of environmental baseline work and a 380 page report that the conclusion of which is there's no species at risk and there's no unique fish habitat here that can't be compensated mm -hmm. for. So that, you know, I think in the end, um, anyone who has not looked at this project in eight years, which is most of the world, mm -hmm. um, when they come back to see all of the work that has been done and the money that's been spent to understand the key risks, they actually really get it. So that's yeah. where I think we can have, you know, a different discussion around, um, you know, jurisdictionally, if you're going to try and pick one or two projects that you're going to back, you know, do you want a project that's at 5,000 meters in the Andes that needs a desal plant on the coast and a yeah. pipeline? Yeah. Or do you want a project 100 kilometers east of Red Lake just off True. the logging road? Dan Lake, um, thanks very much. And I'm just sort of running out of running out of time here, but I do appreciate you running through that story with us. Like I say, there's there's lots to like. Um, I want to hear more from you, um, definitely, because there sounds like some good things coming up this year. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, I wish you well for PDAC next week. It's, well, thank you very much. It's going to be a busy time for yeah, sure. We're I, at, a, at a really interesting time in the industry, so we're all pretty excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, th thank you very much for your time. We'll speak to you again soon. Okay, great. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.